The following presentation was recorded at the 2011 Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute. More information at the docforlearning.org. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here. Normally when I come to events like this, uh, the benches are filled with teachers, and I kind of expect them to have some vision for their schools, but there's something encouraging about seeing people who are not teachers uh, also share in that vision. Those of us who are teachers rarely face the same job hazards that many of you do. Uh, it's rare that we smash our thumb with a hammer when we're at school, and maybe even more rare that we bloody our knuckles with uh, a wrench slipping. And um, we don't face too many angry clients either. Um, I don't, maybe parents are clients, but in my school we don't face too many of those. We do, however, in our work, periodically get asked a question that teachers uh, get this sense that it's kind of hazardous, um, a hazardous question. So it is, a, it is a, a type of job hazard. And it goes something like this. You might have just described uh, the DNA molecule and it's all of its complexity. Or maybe you have uh, demonstrated how to punctuate a complex sentence. Uh, or maybe you've been teaching about the Civil War and, and the causes of the Civil War, and at some point that seventh grader in the back of the classroom raises his hand up, and he says something like this, why do we need to learn this stuff? Now, some teachers take that as a bit of uh, a bad question, and they, they, something inside starts working a little bit, and they, they take it as a threat. You know, I think it's actually a pretty valid question for a student to ask. Um, it's really a pretty good question. Why do we teach this stuff? And while it may be okay for a student to ask that question, it seems to me that in a world of limited resources, uh, Mr. Ritchie, when we have to have faith for our finances, um, when schools are struggling to stay in the black and when we don't want any of our pennies to um, when we want to make sure every penny counts, it seems like it should be a critical question for school boards and administrators to ask. Why do we teach what we do? Why do we teach science? Why do we teach English? Why do we teach music? Why do we teach algebra? Are we teaching what we should be teaching? Are we wasting our money on some things that we shouldn't be teaching? Um, are we using our resources wisely? Are we getting the return on our money that we should be getting? And history seems like the perfect subject to begin questioning, to wonder, should we really be teaching this? I mean, how does the study of the past help our young people prepare for a life, life of service uh, to the Lord and to their fellow men? How, how does studying George Washington or the Wright brothers, uh, or St. Patrick, or the Crusaders, how does that help our students somehow accomplish what God wants them to do in this world? Uh, how much should we care about history? I think a lot of us have this sense that we should care about history, but did you ever stop and ponder and wonder, why is it? Why should we teach history? So in the next couple minutes, I'd like for us to explore two questions. And the first question is, is this, why should we study history? Uh, we could say it this way, what difference does history make? Or what influence um, does studying history have on our students? Why should we study history? 
And then after we address that question, supposing we came out with a yes that we should, um, if studying history makes a difference, then what is the influence of the teacher and the curriculum? So we'll first look at what is, wh why study it, and then secondly, um, what about the history teacher and, and the curriculum? So let's tackle the first question. Why teach history? What difference does it make? And I'd, I'd like to start talking about this by telling you a story about my dad's cousin. Uh, his name is Doug. And Doug used to live in Spokane, Washington. And he was a professional firefighter. He, he was a fireman in the city. And one summer or one year, I had a chance to work a little bit with Doug. And, and uh, we got along together well. And he would tell me some stories, or at least one day, about being a firefighter. And he said that sometimes on the way to a fire in the middle of the night, the alarm or whatever goes off, and you jump in that fire truck, and you head off to this fire, that sometimes when you're at the fire and you've finished fighting it, that you forget or you don't realize where you're at in the city. Because on the way to the fire, you've sort of been sleep driving, sleep walking. This will build a lot of confidence in your firefighters in your community. Uh, they drive, and they're, they, they're kind of aware, but once they get there and they fight the fire, they, they haven't really been thinking about where they're at. And then he told me another story. He said he was on his way to the fire one day, and I believe he was the, the passenger beside the driver, and the alarm went off, they jumped in the truck to drive to the fire, and the firefighter was just not driving very fast. He was just kind of piddling along on the road, and, and all of a sudden the firefighter sort of went like this, and then he just hammered the throttle down and took off driving. And apparently the man was half asleep as he was kind of driving down the road. So what made him all of a sudden speed up? What caused that action? Why, why did he change his behavior as he was driving the truck? Well, yes, because he woke up, but what else about waking up? All of a sudden, he realized who he was. He realized, I am a fireman. I am a fireman on the way to a fire. And because of who I am, my understanding of who I am, my identity, once I understand that, there's going to be some action that follows out of that. So I'm a firefighter. I'm on the way to a fire. Now I need to drive like a fireman. I need to act like a fireman. When he understood who he was, when he understood his identity, his actions followed. Identity really does matter. Maybe you have children that have gone off to school one day and you said something like this. Son, remember who you are. Or maybe a child has gone off to Bible school or, or they've gone out on a date with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you said, remember who you are. Remember who you represent. What do we want them to do with that knowledge, that remembering of who they are? Well, I think we want them to act a certain way because of an identity they have, of knowing they belong to Mr. Chester Weaver's family there or that they go to your church. Because of that, that identity, you want some action to follow. Knowing who we are is very directly linked to how we live. If you know who you are, you live out of that knowledge. And I'm not going to go there because this is not the subject this morning. But if you look in Romans, I think it's chapter 6, the Bible talks about our identity, identified with Christ, that we're in Christ and identified with him. And I think it's, a, it's an important concept. Knowing who we are leads to a way of living. 
the battle for identity is fierce in our world. Um, our ch world is trying to mold our children to think certain ways about themselves. And I want us to think about what some of those ways are. There is a pressure in our world today to identify with what you buy, to, to somehow receive some identification with what you wear or what you drive um, or the products that you consume. And so our world uses advertising, and you can just drive down the interstate and you see the billboard after billboard, or you get phone calls at the wrong time in your meals at, at, your, uh, at your home, or uh, inserts into magazines or newspapers, always trying to get people to buy something, and it has something to do with us being wrapped up in who this will make us if we own it. Um, so there's one force in our world. Another force in our world has to do with our identity being around uh, this issue of being accepted. And so popular culture tries to tell um, our children, you, you need to act a certain way, listen to a certain thing, watch a certain thing, look at certain books or magazines, and if you do this, then you will be accepted, you'll be popular. And so there's pressure to identify in terms of popularity. And even if our students live in fairly sheltered homes and fairly sheltered communities, that pressure is still there all around them um, anytime they, they even go out of their home. So if identity matters, if who we think, uh, who we are, as, as we think about that, if that really matters, and if the world is pressing us in wrong ways, how are we going to combat that? If the identity of our students, who they know they are, will affect the way they live their life, what's the remedy? And I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles, to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to look at two places in Scripture where the Scripture actually gives us a bit of a hint about how we can build identity, how we can answer the question, who are we? Deuteronomy 6, <clears throat> verse 20 and verse 21, and it reads like this, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? In essence, the child is saying, why do we act this way? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we believe these things? And then the Bible says in verse 21, you're supposed to lecture them. No, it doesn't say that. Notice what it says. Verse 21. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondsmen. And he goes on and tells a what? He tells a story about who we were and how God has worked in our life. So the, the, the bit of a picture we get here is that when the child comes and has a question about identity, God says, tell them a story. You want to know who you are? Then let me tell you a story about how God has worked in the past so that you understand who you are. So let's go to Exodus chapter 12 and look at this another place in Scripture. Exodus chapter 12. Verses 26 and 27. And this has to do with the Passover. And it shall come to pass when your children say unto thee, What mean ye by this service? Why are we doing this thing? That you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses. And I'll stop reading there. The answer is, tell them a story. If your children ask you why we do the things we do, they need to know something about the past. 
According to the Bible, in those locations, one of the keys to remembering who we are, one of the keys to our students remembering who they are, and then acting out of that remembrance, is to tell stories of the past. And in which subject in school do we do this? Now, we may do it in Bible class, hopefully we do, and maybe some in science, and there are a lot of places in the school curriculum where we tell stories of the past, but it's in history class where we really focus on that. One of the key reasons we teach history is to help our students develop an identity, an answer to the question, who are we? Or more personally, who am I? The stories of the past help them gain certain impressions about who they are and how they fit into the world. It may be something that happens actually sort of subconsciously. They may not be thinking these things, but it's after year after year after year of hearing the stories of the past that they begin developing some sense of who they are. Maybe it's the story of Dirk Willem who ran out on the ice and, and you know the story his persecutor fell through and Dirk Willem turned around and, and they learn what it means to be a person who returns good for evil. Maybe they learn about the Holocaust in Nazi Germany where millions of Jews were killed and they learn something about who they are. That is that if we don't turn our lives over to God, we can become little Hitlers ourselves, that we have that potential inside of us. Maybe it's when they're learning about Thomas Edison, and as you're studying Thomas Edison, they learn that God has given us uh, resources, uh, ingenuity, genius that God has given to us that we then can use and invent things. And they're learning about what it means to be a human, and a human who is a child of God. I'd like to mention just a few areas where uh, this issue of identity works out in history class, and um, I think We'll talk about three different areas where students in history class learn something about who they are. First of all is this. History class builds identity in helping students who they are in relation to God. So who am I in relation to God? History class is key here. History class should be a time when students learn that God is doing something in the world. That is... The history teacher should help their students realize that the events in world history and in American history are not random events, but that God is doing something. God is involved. Students need to not just focus on the trees in history. They need to be able to look at the forest sometimes, that God is doing something large in the world, that there is purpose, that he's in charge. One area in history you can do this is when you teach um, the captivity of the Israelites uh, before Jesus was born and how the Israelites were torn from their uh, land and scattered over much of the Mediterranean world and how at the time no one would have known why this was happening. Don't know if anyone did. But God knew that all those Jewish people spread around the middle Mediterranean world uh, were like little seeds being planted so that when Jesus came at just the right time and Paul went out to all these cities, there were synagogues in all these cities where the word of the Lord was already known. And as, as we bring that to the attention of our students, they stand back and they say, wow, God is really doing something in the world. He, he's orchestrating events uh, so that things come uh, to the end that he desires. Um, so God is doing something in the world. And related to that is this issue of God... Um, 
being in charge. And the word we use here is sovereignty, that God is sovereign. History class is a place where students can learn about their identity in terms of God's sovereignty. He's in control. In Daniel chapter 2, uh, the Bible says that God even raises up rulers sometimes and pulls them down. So God is in control of, of who our uh, rulers are. Um, as students learn about God doing something and God being in control, they, they begin to develop a, a new perspective on the world. They see that, that God, God is moving, God is doing. They begin to actually think about the world in terms of what God is doing and not in terms of just the individual daily events. But they, they see something broader about the world. And does that have any practical implication? Is it practical that our students develop this, this identity that I'm here and God is there and he's doing something? Well, I think there, there are a few practical things that our students gain from this issue of knowing who they are. First of all, they develop some confidence in God in troubled times. I don't know whether in your communities you realize that we live in troubled times, but in our community, gas prices are going up pretty rapidly. And uh, you, you read about what's going on in Libya, in the Middle East, and with uh, Gaddafi, and, and what just happened in Egypt. And, and we read about Muslim terrorism. And, and these things can cause us to worry. But as our students realize who they are and who's in charge, there can be some confidence uh, as they approach life, that they don't need to be scared uh, with all these things that happen. Uh, Second of all, another practical thing about understanding who you are in relationship to God, understanding that God is in control and he's doing something helps keep our students from getting so entangled in the, the little battles that take place um, across history. Let me explain what I mean. It can be easy for our students to get in this mindset that they need to choose sides in everything. It's Republicans versus Democrats. It's the United States versus China. It's Obama versus John Boehner. And we have to figure out which side are we on. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Well, when you start understanding that God is in control of history, you start having some humility and realizing that we don't know what's going on. God's doing things, and I can stand back and observe, but I, I don't have to feel this compulsion to know who the good guy and the bad guy is at all times. Maybe they're both good or both bad. Um, now, that sounds kind of relativistic, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, the example I think in the scripture is uh, Joshua. When he was approaching the battle, the battle of Jericho, do you remember that? And this angel came toward him at night, and Joshua said, Are you on my side or their side? And the angel said, I'm not on either side. I'm on God's side. And that's what history class can do for our students. It can help them begin realizing that we need to be on God's side in history and not on Obama's side, or I don't know who's going to run against him, you know, the next time. Um, that can be helpful, I think. Um, another practical thing when students realize who they are in relationship to God is that they can start getting some vision for being involved with what God is doing in the world um, and being involved in, in his kingdom work. Um, I think that's something helpful in history classes. Students start realizing that, you know, God is up to something. We don't always know what it is, but we have confidence that it's happening, and I'm his child, that's who I am, and maybe I can get involved somehow in what God is doing. 
Well, let's leave that. Let's go to the second one now. Um, history class doesn't just develop identity in relationship to who I am related to God, but it develops some identity in terms of who I am in relationship to other people who are children of God, to other citizens of this kingdom. Um, history class is a time students can learn of people, of role models who have modeled what it means to serve the Lord. Let me give you an example. Many of you here, or maybe almost all of us, except for the children, may uh, remember the time of apartheid in South Africa uh, when Nelson Mandela was jailed for 27 years um, because of the color of his skin and his political actions. And after he became president and apartheid fell, Mandela was concerned that the people of South Africa heal from this terrible event that had taken place in their, in their land. And so he developed something called the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, where instead of going after all the people who had done bad things during those years, it would be a chance for some healing to play, take place, and it, it worked like this. If a police officer or a soldier would come to the hearing, to the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, and voluntarily uh, face the person he had wronged, and confess to what he had done, or she had done, and explain that he was guilty for that crime, then at that point, the criminal system of South Africa would not go after that person. So if you were willing to come and confess your crime, talk to the person that you hurt, then hopefully some healing would take place, some forgiveness. Well, one day at the Truth and Reconciliation hearing, a police officer by the name of Von de Brock came and explained to the audience how one day he and his buddies, I'm sure there were probably a group of them, had shot an 18-year-old boy, taken his body and roasted it like a piece of meat over a fire. And then eight years later, they had come to the same home and they had grabbed the man of the house, the boy's father, and forced his wife to watch as they took that man's body and they put it on a wood pile and they poured gasoline over it and burned his body. And the courtroom was quiet as then the lady who this had happened to was given a chance to speak. And the judge asked her, she said, he said, what do you want from Mr. Von de Brock? And she told him that she wanted him to go to the place where they had burned her husband's body and helped her collect some soil so that he could have, I guess, a proper burial. And then she said something else. She said, Mr. Von de Brock took all my family away from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Von de Brock to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too, and I would like to embrace him so that he can know my forgiveness is real. And someone in the audience started singing Amazing Grace. And he didn't hear it because he had fainted. Now, aren't those the stories we want to tell our students in history class? So they can learn that I am a part of other people around the world who act in ways like this. I am a part of this larger family. I'm a member of the citizens of the kingdom of God. Students can say, this is what it means to live like a believer. This is my identity. 
Um, I don't have to go and fly military jets and bomb people and kill them to be famous in history or to matter in history. I can be like this woman in South Africa and change the world like this. Too often our students read history books that glorify warriors and political leaders while excluding those who live for the kingdom of God. And Mennonite history programs should be distinct because we should choose to highlight not just the stories about George Washington, Thomas, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, but we should also highlight the heroes of the kingdom of God. Our students should hear the stories of those who overcame good with evil, who chose to follow God against all odds, and who advanced the kingdom of heaven. Our history classes should not just be the history of Hannibal and George Washington and Dwight Eisenhower, but of Felix Mons, Elizabeth Elliot, and John Troyer. One of the roles of history class is not just to say, who am I in relationship to God, but who am I as a person? Who is, what is my identity in relation to other people who live their Christian life like I do? And now the third one. Another issue of identity in the uh, history classroom. History is important because it helps students understand who they are. That's what we've been saying. Who they are in relationship to God. Who they are in relationship to other Christian people. And finally, who they are in relationship to the members of their community and larger world who maybe aren't believers. Now, I teach in Barnwell, South Carolina. And Barnwell, South Carolina uh, is adjacent to Bamberg, South Carolina, Bamberg County. And Bamberg County, South Carolina is uh, probably something like 70% or higher African-American. Unfortunately, in our school, we don't have a high percentage of African-American students. We have an African-American teacher. We have one African-American student. One of the challenges I face in my school in this um, bleached environment with little ethnic diversity um, is that I struggle with helping, figuring out how I can help my students understand the struggles of those who they live around. Um, in such a relatively sheltered environment, how do we help students understand the struggles that other people face? How, how do your, well, you're not teachers, here I'm talking to teachers. How, how do the students in your school respond to new Latino or Asian immigrants that come into the communities? Um, how do your students respond to the plight of African Americans living in urban communities? Um, devastated with, with problems in family life? Do they have compassion for them? Do they care about them? Do they understand why these people come to the United States, the Latinos, the Asians? Uh, do they understand why African-American communities are the way they are? Um, the history? Our students need to know who they are in relation to others around them so they can develop compassion. Um, and then the, the desire to share God's love with them. History class offers an ideal environment to help our students learn about themselves and those around them. Whether we like it or not, the past does affect our lives today. So what are some things that our students should learn about in history class? I've just chosen a few, a few things that sometimes are left out. Joe, let's see if I can turn this around. One of the things I like to do is teach my students about the Trail of Tears. 
and the Cherokee Indians. When my students think about the Cherokee Indians, I don't know, they think of teepees and wigwams. They don't think about a house that looks like this built by a Cherokee Indian before he was forced off his property or his son forced off his property. This is how the Cherokee Indians were living before the US government pushed them off their land, at least wealthy ones. They owned slaves, they hired people, they owned ferries that crossed rivers, and it's in this sort of situation that the US government came and brutally forced them off their land. Um, our students need to face that fact so that when they go to minister to Native American peoples, they have some sense of the injustice that was done to them. Um, and showing them a picture like that helps them, um, I may have that backwards there, helps them realize um, more of that injustice. So our students need to be learning about the history of the Native, Amer Native American peoples uh, here in the United States. They need to hear the terrible history of slavery um, in the United States, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit more later. They need to realize the historical and economic um, forces that bring immigration into play. Um, we need young people who can minister in these communities. Um, they're right beside us. We don't need to travel to, to Sri Lanka, although we need people to travel to Sri Lanka as well. But we need to build understanding. Who am I? Who are those folks? How do I fit in Barnwell County? Why is my family the way it is, but my neighbor's family next door not the way mine is? Is it just because uh, they're not Mennonite? Is it, why are, why are they like that? This issue of identity in terms of other people um, helps keep our students from being proud of their time in history and their place in history. We tend to be provincial. Um, we think the way we do it is the right way to do it, and it doesn't just have to do with where I live because, you know, we drink sweet tea all the time in South Carolina. That doesn't make it right. I, I realize that other people drink other things around the United States, but we also get proud of the time in history. So we know better than people 200 years ago because, you know, we use cell phones and iPhones and iPads and we have computers and all these cool things we must be more intelligent and we need to teach history so our students realize we can learn from people 2,000 years ago they faced many of the same situations we face today and so as they gain an identity of who they are in a historical sense some of that pride uh, can can leave and hopefully they can minister better and learn uh, more about their world I can barely see that clock back there. Jonas, what time do we have? Pardon? Okay. Um, I want to talk about one thing other than identity, about why to teach history class, and one, one I care about. History is not just about identity. Notice the title to this session was, Who Are We? And so that has to do with identity. But there's this deal with being practical, right? And I think sometimes we use that term a little flippantly. There are some things that are immediately practical, and there are some things that are practical in the longer term. And we need to be careful to not always just say, well, it's not practical, I'm not going to teach it. But let's use that term. History is actually very practical. We live in an age when there is a huge amount of information that our students can get a hold of, not just in books, but in other areas as well. And it's vital that children of God learn to analyze well the data that's out there available to all of us. They learn to say, you know, I can't believe that 
because of its source. Or I, I think I'm going to question what that person says in the newspaper because of so-and-so. Um, when we have people in church give topics or preach um, or prepare for Sunday school, we want discerning readers, people who can discern, is this the truth or not? And a properly taught history class, especially in the upper grades, should help teach students how to wrestle with this issue of analyzing sources. Because that's what historians do. Historians go into the past and they look at the evidence and then they weigh the evidence. D do I believe this? What this person wrote 200 years ago about this? Uh, when he wrote about slavery, he was a slave owner. Hmm, does that, does that influence maybe what he wrote about slavery? And we begin teaching our students how to wrestle with this issue of valid sources, sources that are not valid. Um, and I think there should be some emphasis on that in our history classrooms. Uh, even at younger grades, showing students a picture of something that happened and then asking them, do you believe the picture? Because you know there are a lot of pictures today that are not worth believing because they've been doctored. And say, well, who might have taken this picture? Why do you think they took this picture? And even third and fourth and fifth graders can begin wrestling with this issue of, is what I see what I get? Is there, how do I weigh um, the sources that I use? Well, I'm going to leave that one there. Uh, if I was talking to teachers, we could, we could have a workshop about how to do that. But uh, I just wanted to, to mention that. I guess my dream is that I want young people that are kind of like that firefighter. I want them in our schools to remember, to learn that they are someone, who they are, and that it has nothing to do with what you buy. It has nothing to do with, with whether you're in right now or not, but it has a lot to do with your understanding about who you are in relationship to God, who you are in relationship to other people throughout time who have loved the Lord, and also in terms of your relationship with others in your community and in the broader world. And I think history class is one of the great places um, to help shape their identity. Now, big question number two, this one won't take as long, that is, if history is important, if, if you're like me and think that maybe history class can shape the identity of our students, then how should we think about the person who teaches history and about the curriculum we use? I just have a number of observations here. I don't know that they're in any specific order, but just some things I think that as school board members, these are good things to think about. Um, if history class is going to have an important role, I think we'd all agree that it's, it's rather obvious that who is doing the teaching and who is choosing the material to be studied is critical. It's important to realize that history is vast. I don't care what history textbook you use, you would just be scraping the surface of stories of the past. And therefore, we should not be scared to either as publishers produce history curriculum or as teachers choose other stories than the ones that are in the history curriculum book. So if your, your book that you're using is just has George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and it doesn't talk about von de Brock, which I don't know if there's any history curriculum that, curriculum that does, it's okay to spend one day less on George Washington and teach von de Brock. So we, we since I think teachers especially have this paralysis, well, I didn't teach the right history stories. Well, who decides who the right history stories are? Do we decide? Do we help decide? Or does the publisher decide? Now, we want publishers to help us in this process, don't we? But it's okay 
it's okay to begin supplementing, choosing some other stories. Um, the, the stories we tell and how we tell them make a difference. I, I have a daughter, Caroline. She just learned how to read, and, and I must have brought home from school some publisher's history book. And she was reading about George Washington, and she said, George Washington must be a Christian because he prayed. Well, you see, she, she read that. George Washington prayed. She made the connection. He's a Christian. And now I'm going to have to spend years and years trying to straighten her out on what kind of Christian George Washington was. Uh, and George Washington may be in heaven. I don't know. But you see, she read a history book, and she formed an impression about a certain person. Uh, that matters. So curriculum matters. Teachers matter. In our Christian schools, the reality is, in our Anabaptist schools, that there is a rapid turnover of teachers often. Um, most school, because of that, most schools in our setting should probably spend a little bit more time thinking about curriculum than maybe in some other schools because the teacher who is coming in to teach may not have the years of experience to go and collect the stories and to, and to tweak what they're using. Um, but be careful. I'm going to talk from my heart now. I'm a teacher. Um, Sometimes I use curriculum in the high school level that is not from a Christian publisher um, because I want to do some of the tweaking that I want to do, and I like what that publisher has for me. Now, maybe that's heretical. Mr. Elmer, I, I hope I'm still your friend after this talk. But um, w what I'm saying is I I'm just kind of putting out a rule of thumb here. In many of our schools, especially in the elementary, our teachers may turn over rapidly. They may not have some of the training and experience, and so the curriculum matters a lot. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, be careful to use texts that tell stories that balance out the continual nationalistic sort of triumphant march that the United States is basically, well, it's not the church, but it's almost, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm just going to give you an example. Uh, here's a, this is a conservative Christian publisher. I, I care a lot about race. Maybe you've noticed that already this morning. I live in a community that has a lot of African Americans, and I believe very uh, a community destroyed by the Civil War. And I'm concerned about uh, Mennonite students flying the rebel flag, liking the rebel flag, uh, these sorts of things. And so if they read this in sixth grade, one of the greatest military heroes of the Civil War and one of the greatest generals of all time was Stonewall Jackson. Stonewall Jackson had an outstanding Christian testimony that he shared with the men under him and around him. Church services were held in his camp whenever possible, and he handed out gospel tracts to his troops and encouraged them to pray and read their Bibles faithfully. Before the war, he taught a Sunday school class for black slaves. So you see, the Civil War wasn't so bad, was it? Because he actually cared about those people. And during the war, he continued to send money for the support of their class. Stonewall Jackson lost his life in the Civil War. Uh, blah, 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 on and on. Um, news of Stonewall Jackson's death spread quickly to other parts of the world. The people of England called him a heaven-born general. And in Scotland, the train conductors opened the doors of the passenger cars to tell passengers that the great Confederate general had died. Get this for some editorializing. General Stonewall Jackson has gone down in history as a great general and a great Christian. And that's a conservative Christian publisher, not Anabaptist. Praise the Lord. Um, do students gain some identity from reading things like that? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. 
Texts that we use should tell the truth about our country, even if those are hard truths. Um, students can have an overly high view of our country, and by the way, parents can too. Praise the Lord for the United States of America. I love being an American, but I should first love being a citizen of God's kingdom. And so think about that in terms of history texts and in teaching unsavory parts of U.S. history. So I've already mentioned the Native Americans. Um, how about the internment of Japanese Americans in World War II? How about the treatment, of course, of African Americans? And by the way, while we're at it, let's tell the truth about Christians who haven't always acted like Christians either so that our students can have a proper identity of the church. So one of the things I do with my high school students when I study the Crusades, I have a, a document, a journal of some sort written by a good Christian in the Middle Ages explaining how they killed those Muslims and the river was running red with their blood and they pushed them into the river and caused them to drown and it was a glorious day for God. I have my high school, that sort of thing, I have my high school students read that. Do you think they have a different attitude towards Muslim extremists in the Middle East after reading that? They, they sort of understand why the Muslims hate, uh, or some of them hate, um, the Western world. And hopefully someday some of them may have a heart to be a missionary to them, and they'll have an understanding of the past. Whatever the curriculum, let's never forget that the teacher is the most important part of the classroom. And and uh, I generally focus on teachers and not curriculum, but I thought in, th in this case and in this, the way our schools are operated, I, I would put a pretty strong plug in here about curriculum. But teachers are the most critical factor. So what should our teachers be like? If you're hiring, here's, here you go, some, uh, a checklist. Um, history teachers, or as you get into their classroom, history teachers should not focus so much on the facts of history in comparison to, um, in relation to the, how should I say this, in contrast to the stories of history. Now, don't get me wrong. I think students should know some dates. I think they should know some facts. But history is not dates and facts. Those are the skeleton on which history stands, the flesh that it's on. And so history teachers um, should develop, and this is a, a growth process that you can encourage in your history teachers, that they do not just become a, a talking vocabulary list, but that they find the stories to tell because God didn't say you will know who you are when you can tell me the date of the Passover. He said when you know the story of the Passover. Now, is it helpful to know when the Passover took place? I'm sure it is. So that's important, but the stories matter. Let real people talk from the past. We want teachers who embrace the values that we're talking about today. You can give them the best curriculum in the world, and they can teach it from a nationalistic point of view. So make sure that the teachers we have in our history classrooms are ones that personally embrace these issues of identity. Um, teachers should have a vision for why history matters, and so uh, we should think, how can we encourage that vision in our students, in our teachers, I'm sorry, a vision for um, what we've talked about this morning? I'm excited about history. I love history. And I'm excited about what history can do in our schools. Um, it's, it's not going to save them. Um, but hopefully it can shape them into people who understand something about who they are. 
And I think it's safe to say that our dreams as conservative Anabaptists is for our schools to be places where we prepare another generation of people to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples. And as we educate our children, we dare not forget what Jesus said when the person asked him what is the greatest commandment. He said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And um, I learned something from a, a Christian historian, Dirk Jellema, and he says that we study history because it helps us love God better. As we see what God's doing, we love God better when we study history. We can actually extend that. He does a little bit. He says, you know, in Romans chapter 1, it says that we're to study when, when man looks at God's creation, what's the response that they should give back to the God? They should be thankful and praise him. Well, what's the highest point of God's creation? What did he say that's very good about? He said it about humans, didn't he? So as our students study humans throughout the history of the world, maybe they can learn to look at God and say, thank you, God, and praise the Lord that you made these things called humans. We can love the Lord better by studying history. But we can also love other people better by studying history because we understand who they are, we understand who we are, we understand their needs better, we understand our shared challenges, and then we can serve them um, out of that understanding. May we, in our schools, equip citizens of God's kingdom who are like the sons of Issachar. It said they understood the times, and I think then that they wisely directed their lives. So an understanding of the times we live in, who I am, who God is, who the other folks are in the world, and then once we have that identity, we can be like that firefighter, and we can go to the fire. We can, our actions... Um, will flow out of that identity. Thank you all for your, your patience and listening to things about history. It's not always the most exciting topic, um, but I'm, I am uh, delighted that the, the committee thought about history. And uh, I, I think it's crucial for our schools. Thank you all. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.